Welcome back, everybody. Um, as you know, I, I feel tremendously lucky that I have these incredible people on the show that I get to be inspired by. But after doing all of the research that I have done on our next guest, uh, Gerald Webb, I'm honestly blown away uh, by all the things that he has accomplished. And I have a ton of questions for him. I'm gonna try to make this as short as possible, but uh, we'll probably go the distance. Um, please welcome actor, director, producer, uh, executive, uh, we're not even going to mention, you know, what you did before acting, but, uh, you know, we'll get to your casting director and to your writing. Uh, Gerald Webb is on the show. I am, I'm really, really psyched. Oh, well, thank you for having me. It's uh, hearing all those things. I kind of laugh because director is so new to the to the list of things. So it's kind of funny to hear that. <laughs> yeah, it is. And we'll, we'll get into Stacks, uh, which I watched. I thought it was awesome. I'm not going to give thank anything you. away. I definitely recommend for people to watch it. <laughs> Dex is great. It's, Thank you. It's, it's it's time perfect and just as as a as a short, I thought it was great. And then at the yeah, end, it uh, took, a, it, it, it took okay. a pandemic to get me to finally step into the director's chair. Hey, listen, we, we can all. Uh, it took a pandemic for me to start the show. So there you uh, go. So. You know, we'll we'll take and uh, you know we'll take and make what we can out of this uh, unfortunate time. Um, cool. The person who uh, who has the most incredible work ethic that I know that I aspire to be more like is the person who's been with me for 20 plus years, and that's my wife. But even my wife, looking at what you do on a, a basically a daily basis, even she's going to admit that you're at the next level, bud. Yeah, I think, you know, it's weird because I think there have been stretches in my life where I look back and I don't I don't even remember how I was able to generate the energy and the enthusiasm to work. Like there was a time when I was working as a casting executive where I was probably working a hundred hours a week easy. Yep. Plus like trying to go on auditions and act and do all my other stuff. So there've been times where it's like, I don't understand how I did it. But then there are other times where like, like anybody else, I have times where I feel I'm lazy. I have times when I procrastinate on things. Um, you know, I, I, we briefly mentioned directing. I probably should have directed long before I finally did. So, yeah, I, I, there have been times where I've worked an immense amount. And then there's other times when, like, now I take kind of these breaks trying to figure out what's next because I don't want to – I'm very picky about not jumping into something unless I think it's really in alignment with where I want to go. Yeah. Um We'll, we'll come back to, uh, to you know, the 100 hour a week because I have a few questions for you on that one. But um, in terms of alignment, that's that's the next part that I wanted to get into. Um, once I started doing my prep on you and I watched a ton of stuff, including, by the way, I read the wonderful interview of 15 minutes with uh, Gerald Webb. Oh. It, it's, it's wonderful. I love it. We're going to link it right below the video. So please, I encourage yeah. everyone to go and check that out. Um, but... Uh, in all of these interviews, uh, including with my friend Cyrus Webb, who may or may not be your relative, I'm not sure if that's we're, we're not related at all, but he's a great guy, and I would probably be better in life if he was related to me. But he's a great guy. He's he's awesome. He's he's been uh, kind of my guardian angel uh, for for quite a while. So Cy, if you're watching, love you, buddy. Um, so the thing that constantly comes up in all of your interviews that I have watched uh, is purpose, is alignment. And to me, it's, it's the part that resonates so much with me because 
I started my journey because I heard in the back of my mind, uh, live your essence. And uh, I even started a you know coaching practice that's called recalibrate your life in order to align with your essence. So when I heard you talk about it, when I heard uh, you talk about purpose and alignment, I you know my my soul lit up. So <laughs> what Good. what is that purpose for you? What is that alignment for you? Well, I, I think one of the ways to understand it for anybody, and it took me a while to figure this out, is we live in a world where I f we all, many of us feel like we have to go achieve something. We have to get something. And then if we get something, then we'll be in a position to like go help the world or help other people or whatever. And I think that when it comes to what you call alignment, what some people call purpose, um, I think it's at the core of it, it's the opposite of that. It's not about us getting something, it's about us contributing something to the world. So um, if you can, and it feels so counterproductive to how we're trained because we live in this hard world that sometimes is straight up dog eat dog. Um, you know, you're gonna, no matter who you are, no matter how nice you are, how mean you are, you're gonna deal with jerks sometimes, you're gonna deal with nice people sometimes. And the world kind of trains us. And in some ways, is many of the lessons that we're taught is don't trust people, don't give to people, go for yours, grab what you can grab. And the truth of purpose, I think, is the exact opposite. And I'll be really honest about this. Like, it's a battle every day. There's a side of me that wants to say, people are jerks or people are dumb and just screw the dumb people and the jerks and focus on what you want. And there's a side of me that says, no, I have to give back to the society. And that's, that's what I think is the true purpose or drive or, uh, you know, alignment, whatever, whatever someone wants to call it. Cause there's a bunch of different names for it, uh, you know, vernacular in the vernacular. So for me at the core of it, I wanted to find a way to give back to society. The way that I've felt fulfilled the most and the way that I've been more effective at doing it is through art. Um, even with like Stacks that I recently directed, behind Stacks is a lot of like anger and hurt for me because Stacks was inspired by seeing people hoarding toilet paper and fighting in a, in a store in the lead up to the COVID-19 pandemic. So I wanted to go scream at people that were doing this and almost have a fight. But instead, I wanted to say, you know what, let me find another way to channel this energy in a way that can maybe open people's eyes up to like, hey, we need to help each other out during this time. We need to look at our own behavior, and be responsible in these moments that if we don't need 17, 30 packs of toilet paper that we don't buy 17. We buy the one or the one that we really need, or maybe two, but the one, two if you have a lot of ladies in the house, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but at the core of your question, I think um, for me, it's about giving back to people and asking people to look at life in an empowering and a different way through art. It's it's tough. Um, I, I, I'm on that spectrum too, because I genuinely love people. I love people. I see the good in people and that's what I want to focus on and root for. And it's tough. 
because yeah. you, you're seeing so much stuff going on right now that makes you question all of that. And um, there were times in my life where I decided to go political and I allowed myself, I'm a poet, so I allowed myself to write uh, what I was really feeling and I put that out in social media and the amount of blowback that I got was right. expected. But I wasn't worried about it from that perspective. It was more of, is this really me? You know, am I the am I the person who's divisive, or am I the person who's going to try to bring everybody together and have them focus on something that's positive? And that's that's more me. So it's it's a tough thing to uh, to juggle. Yeah, I mean, even simple things like I don't trust any one news source, but I go to legitimate news sources to learn what's going on in the world and stay informed. But the truth of it is, no matter what source I go to, if you, if I stay on that source for more than fifteen or twenty minutes. They almost all develop into opinion and it's divisiveness. So I want to go get the information and then get off. Like if I'm watching, I don't care if it's CNN or MSNBC or even reading the Washington Post or the New York Times, if I'm reading 20 or 30 articles or watching for an hour, I can already feel that it's taking me to a place of confrontation instead of me getting facts and information. Um, so it's, it's, you're right. We, we live in this world where it's very tricky and now it's amplified more than it's ever been, in my opinion. Uh, maybe then since going back to the 1960s and the revolutionary times that they were. Um, so we'll, we'll see kind of how we come out of this. And, you know, the pandemic has been interesting because, um, I've seen the best in people. Like I'm a member of a group on Facebook called What I Need that a guy named Craig started just to say like generally in LA, but now it's all over the place where it was like, if somebody in the run up to during the beginning of the pandemic, if you needed a roll of toilet paper, you just went on a site and said, hey, I'm in Sherman Oaks, California and I don't have any toilet paper. And somebody would be like, hey, I have three rolls, come pick them up or I'll drop them off. And there were all kinds of people just not asking, just giving, helping each other out. So I see that, but then I also see people that want to impose not wearing a mask you know they want to they don't want to be responsible to, to to take care of other people so it's going to be interesting where we end up <laughs> yeah i my my sincere hope is that by the time 2020 ends and we look back on it uh you know we've survived it and it became a catalyst for positive change that's my hope uh let's let's see if we get there um Unfulfillment. You've mentioned unfulfillment, and uh, again, I, I I I wholly empathize because I had a IT consulting business that was doing gangbusters, and everybody thought I was doing great, and I felt completely unfulfilled. So yeah. uh, when you had your uh, you know prior career as a DJ, you were recognized as you know the best or one of the best DJs in the country. Uh, you had everybody inviting you, you know, all sorts of companies throwing consulting gigs at you. Uh, and yet you felt unfulfilled. I know that yeah. feeling. Um, for me, the the change and kind of the thing that started the switch is when I had to introduce myself to people and I had to say, you know, my name is Alan and I'm in IT. And everything within me was screaming, no, you're not. You are <laughs> an actor, you're a writer. You know, and I purposely started introducing myself as I'm an actor. And people were like, great, what have you been in? I said, nothing. And they took them by surprise, but it was so freeing for me right. that that was the catalyst. What was that kind of last straw for you that allowed you to continue pursuing what you wanted? 
I don't I don't know if there was a last straw. There was just there was a period of several years where I mean I was sponsored by you know big companies like Panasonic, Techniques, Pioneer, and and I was running around DJing all over the country and hanging out with music artists and li literally I was on a rock tour one year riding around on a bus all summer with Sammy Hagar yeah. and living this lifestyle that everybody thought was amazing. And don't get me wrong, I I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was great. But every day I was like, I don't want to do this for another two years, let alone 20 or 30 for the rest of my career. So there wasn't one thing over a bunch of years. I just did a lot of soul searching, took a lot of different classes, did a lot of reading, trying to figure it out. And then um, I guess if there was a straw, um, I had a moment in a class that I took um, where a stranger stood up and talked about his son having committed suicide. And as bad as that was, people started to show like sympathy for him. And he said, no, stop. And like yelled at us for like going all. And he was like, and I've, and he, and he totally took responsibility. He said, since my son died, I've been totally irresponsible. I've sat in my sorrow and said, woe is me. I haven't been there for my wife. I haven't been there for my kids. I haven't been there for my business partner. Our business is now failing. My partners had to work 100 hours a week. So now his marriage is failing. And he's like, I, I, I've basically used my son's death as a way to not be responsible to, to take care of my family and move on. Yeah. And I was blown away by this guy doing this. Like, it was one of the bravest things I've ever seen for him to stand up in front of a room of probably, it was at least 150 people, strange, generally strangers that he didn't know, and just tell the raw, honest truth about his life and to choose, and it was a choice, to take responsibility that not that he was responsible that his son committed suicide, but that he was responsible in the wake of that, the choices that he made not to continue to live his life and take care of his family and his partner and live up to his word and his responsibilities. It was one of the bravest things I've ever seen. And in that moment, I realized that I was holding on to all the success I had as a DJ. I owned a consulting company that consulted with these big DJ companies. I owned a company that did private events and a little smaller company that designed sound systems for places. And I was holding on to all of it, like like literally as tight as I could, even though it wasn't what I really wanted. And in that moment, I realized, like, I was, it wasn't about holding, like, why was I holding on to something that I didn't really, really want? I realized in that moment, I was scared to death to let go of it, go for what I wanted and fail. And it was this fear of failure that was paralyzing me into staying doing something that I didn't want to do. Because think about it, success is great until it becomes the norm for you. And then you and everybody else expects, oh, you're going to have more of that, which means you have to grow or do something bigger. And then you're like, oh my God, like, but now you, you have all the success you don't want to let go of. And usually to move forward, like you said, to, to, to be an actor, you had to let go of on some level being an IT guy and the success and all that. You know, maybe you did it part time or did it. That was your full time gig while you got into it. But at some point you have to go. I have to let go of this as part of my identity to go for what I want. And that the more success you have, the more you feel like you're going to lose. You have to lose. 
So for me, it was that moment of seeing a complete stranger have a level of courage that I hadn't imagined at that time. And almost immediately I went, I'm moving to LA in a year, I'm closing my companies, I'll figure it out. And the minute I made that choice, and it was a choice, not a decision, I, 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 the minute I made that choice, everything else started to line up for me to be where I'm at now. Yeah, um, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, you, you kind of, <laughs> to put a lighter spin on it, you kind of did the reverse of Get Shorty. You know, you went from the music business into the movie business. Yeah, uh, exactly. But you got to LA, you know, a year later. And uh, LA taught you a bunch of lessons. Uh, and some, <laughs> of those, some of those lessons were taught by, you know, a guy that I didn't know was your friend, who I saw in stacks and I immediately thought, oh my God, I know oh. who that is. Uh, he's one of my favorite characters from Chuck, uh, Mark Christopher Lawrence. Um, what were some of the advices that you know he imparted onto you, and what were some of the things that you learned right away in LA that allowed you to be successful? Wow. So Mark, uh, he's a good friend of mine now. We're actually really close, but um, he will always have a special place in my life and in my heart because I didn't know him. I moved to LA, I didn't know him. And honestly, I got to LA all excited, was living by the beach, was going out every day, doing what I thought was the way to pursue acting and getting zero response. Like, I mean, I couldn't even get, I couldn't even somebody to tell me no. I was just being completely ignored. Like I didn't exist, which is worse than being told no. Just so you know, it's way worse. Yep. So um, I reached out to a buddy of mine and I actually reached out to several people I knew in LA. And I said, hey, I just came clean. I said, look, um, I just moved here. I thought this was going to be a little easier than it is. Nobody cared about my DJ success in L.A. Nobody at the time. Uh, this is before social media was big. And I said, I'm really lost. And I'm starting to wonder if, like, maybe I made a mistake. Like, I started almost maybe feeling a little depressed about, like, did I make a mistake? And so I, I said, I called these four or five people I knew, and I said, listen, do you know anyone that has experience in act in this industry that you trust their judgment that you wouldn't mind asking if they would take a five minute phone call from me and i guarantee it won't be more than five minutes long i just have some questions that i just don't know who to ask and i'm hoping looking for some guidance yeah. so um one of my friends recommended i go take a class and i went and audited that class and that helped a lot and then my, my buddy Eugene said, oh, call Mark. You know, he's been on, on some, he's been a series regular on some shows. Um, you know, he'll, he'll take your call. And I don't even, I, I don't, I'll have to ask Mark this. I don't even know if Eugene asked him if it was okay. Cause I don't think he did, but that's like how Mark is. Like he's cool. Right. So yeah. um, I called Mark and I just said, Hey man, I just moved to LA. I'm trying to figure this out. I really feel lost. And you've, been a series regular, like, how do I get where you are, you know, kind of thing. And um, he said, uh, <laughs> he gave me some really simple advice. He said, yeah, so uh, get a job because you're going to be spending money to stay in LA and to take classes. You got to pay for classes, get headshot. You need to be making some money. And if you get a job, you'll meet some other people that can maybe help you, you know, some social circles. And he's like, and just be patient. Just go to work. And I went, okay, great. And I hung up the phone. We literally talked for two or three minutes. It wasn't very long at all. 
Because after you said that, I was like, okay, I, I guess that's what I have to do. Like, what else can I ask you? Like, and then, um, oh, he did suggest one class to me that I went and audited. And, um, and you know, and then basically between talking to him and talking to a couple other people, um, I just said, okay, step one is humble yourself. Come at this like you know nothing. You know absolutely nothing. And like, that's partly what Mark was telling me. Like, dude, you're not gonna become a star. He didn't say this like this, but the, the, the cold fact of it is, for 99% of the people to go to LA, you're not gonna become a star overnight. The chances of you making your living as an actor are very slim. You know, you're, it's going to cost you a ton of money before you really make any money. And it's, you know, you have to continually train. You have to continually develop yourself. And he was basically saying, humble yourself and go to work. And work whatever side jobs you have that give you the flexibility to stay in the acting game. Because it's a long play game, not a get-rich-quick scheme. Yeah. So that was kind of like the base stuff that I've learned from him. but. You know, we've been friends for the better part of 15 years now. And I mean, it was it developed over the years. And I'm just really grateful I've been able to to put him in several films, um, including, you know, he came in and worked on my directorial debut, which was yeah. great, a huge benefit because I knew he was a great actor and I could rely on him and trust his instincts. And he would, you know, work with me and I could, you know, help me make it better. And he literally made it great. Um, so you know it's something and i and i still learn from him mark has a great uh a great humility about him he gets along with just about everybody um and if you need help he's always there to help you so it's he he's somebody that i i hope to continue to learn from for a long time to come. yeah he again i i only know him from chuck uh and i <laughs> love him on chuck. so seeing him on stacks was you know a pleasant surprise but then i saw a part of him that i've never seen before yeah which which was even cooler and then i i see you know i see mark being mark and then i see him being a completely different guy i'm like oh okay hi yeah. this is not a side i'm used to i love it it just all of these things came together in stacks it was well yeah well one of the great things about mark is like everybody knows mark for comedy because he's a stand-up you know really accomplished stand-up comedian he was in classic movies like Fear of a Black Hat and Pursuit of Happiness. And Chuck is, you know, was a comedic drama. And he's yeah. been on several sitcoms as a series regular. But truth be told, he's a better dramatic actor than he is comedic. And for some reason, a lot of Hollywood won't give him that opportunity. So I've known that for years. So when I was like making stacks, I was like, oh yeah, Mark, Mark will kill this. And Mark was real one of the reasons Mark wanted to do it, he was like, Yeah, I don't get to play this role. And I'm like, yes, let's let's have fun, you know. So, and that's the thing is um, everybody that worked on Stacks, I wanted to try, part of giving back is helping other people achieve what they want to achieve, right? Mm -hmm. So I believe that everybody that worked on Stacks, cast and crew, not only did they have a good experience, but it was an opportunity for them in some sort, in some way that they don't normally get in Hollywood. So even Deanna Nicole Baxter, who played uh, Magdalena, she was like, yeah, I don't have any material like this for my reel. I don't get to play this boss, boss chick role. And I was like, yeah, I know you can do it. So here, let's do it. Um, you know, our, our deep, our, our, uh, my cinematographer, Thomas Hennessy, um, he does some cinematography, but he works a lot as a first assistant camera. So he wants to do more cinematography and he loves this genre of this top genre that Stax falls under. So it was an opportunity for him to kind of 
take that step up to cinematography and do a style that he liked. So that's a big part of it is trying to give other people an opportunity. And that's one of the big ways that you can have longer term success in Hollywood is to create coalitions where everybody is taking a step forward through the process. Yeah. Um, it's again, it's it's that part of you that wants to uh, wants to put things back into the world and wants to help out. Um, I and, you, and, I, and here's the thing: you can't do it alone. Yeah, if you want to make a film. If yeah. you don't do that, you're, you're not gonna make a film. That's <laughs> true. That's true. Uh, I just I'm I'm very happy to see that you know at different levels. And again, I'm in the Chicago acting community, and everybody uh, that I know of is is really open, and we're all pulling for each other, and we're trying to help out in any way we can. I'm just happy to see that you know it's the same way with you, and it's the same way with people at different levels. So uh, I know it's not everywhere, but uh, I'm happy to see that it's at least somewhere. What was really cool, I'm a member of the Television Academy and I, I was literally voting on the primetime like Emmys last night. Uh, they wow. were due last night and I was doing the like for, we vote to see who gets nominated and then whoever gets, you know, however many candidates get enough votes, they get nominated. And one of the things that I love, it's and it's, it's there's a ton of categories. So it's like, it's not some vote you can do in five minutes. It probably takes an hour, if not longer. And then yeah. if you go watch all the shows, it can take weeks, right? So I was going into doing the voting and I was so happy to see so many people that I personally know or that I've worked with. You know, like there's a kid named Melvin Gregg who's like popping up in everything. He's in Black AF right now. He's on uh, he's on he's on like a bunch of shows. He was just in the Ben Affleck movie. Um, and I put him in a, in two features, two of like his first features, like six, seven, eight years ago. And now he's working all the time in major Hollywood. And, I saw when I saw him, I voted for him and I took a picture of it and I sent him a text and was like, yo, brother, I hope you get a nomination because I really I'm really proud of the work that he's done and the growth that he's shown. And that's one of probably 30 people that I saw that I, you know, have seen progress throughout the years. So it's really great to see that. Yeah. Um, and you've mentioned kind of, uh, you know, that Mark and other people don't get necessarily a chance to play outside the box that, uh, that Hollywood uh, puts them in. I, I love how you actually put that because, you know, for me, I, I get put into a lot of dramatic parts, which I like, I, I like drama, but, you know, at heart, I'm a goofy, uh, you know, weird uh, uh, guy who just wants to laugh and, and uh, goof around. So comedy is more me as opposed to drama because that's that's more of who I am as a person. And I don't get a chance to do a lot of those. So when I heard you in the interviews again that I was watching beforehand, explain that you need to know your box and that's where they're going to put you. You need to be great at it. And then you have a chance to kind of expand out of it. The exactly. question that came up is how do other people know what their box is? I have an idea of how they can tell, but you know, based on your experience, what are you suggesting? Right. Well, yeah, you're, I've said this for years don't don't fight don't fight the current right so if you're being getting auditions and every time they're giving you an audition it's for this serious doctor role or this serious businessman role master that type of role get really good at that role so that you can book those roles and start to work and get experience right now at the same time go train and develop yourself because Part of what you're talking about is you said you're this funny kind of goofy guy that likes to laugh. 
part of it is you being comfortable enough with yourself and your instrument as an actor to let that natural side of you come out when you're acting and it not feel, because sometimes that's the hard, sometimes the hardest part to let them see is the true us when we're acting. It's yeah. easy to hide behind like a character, but sometimes yeah. when it's like, this is me and I'm really raw, it's like, oh, this is scary. So part of the training and the reason you go to class and you study is to be able to let your natural self out more and more and with and apply skill to applying who you are to roles, right? So I think how people figure that out, how they figure out what their Hollywood box is, for lack of a better description, um, yeah. is number one, what are you being brought in on? It was easy for me to realize real early on. They were bringing me in when I was younger. They were bringing me in kind of as the street kid, thug a little bit. And then all of a sudden, as I got a teeny bit older, everything was law enforcement. Uniform cop. Under, and it, it kind of progressed. First, it was uniform cop. Maybe young undercover cop. Dirty undercover cop. I was the, the junior cop. Then I got a little older and it was like, oh, now I'm the senior uniform cop. I'm maybe the, the young detective. Now I'm the older, you know, the middle aged detective. Every or I'm the I'm the 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 prison guard, the armed armed car guard. Like everything was was uh law enforcement. Then it was the FBI agent, you know, lieutenant, captain, like you know, the old so it was like, okay, so early on I was like. Yeah, I'm tired of playing a cop in some ways, but I was also like, they keep letting me play the cop, so I better get good at being a cop. And I got really good at being a cop, so then it just became cop, 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 cop. So mm -hmm. the so then the funny thing was, I finally got out of that, and they started. Well, I still do that, but they started saying, "Oh, okay, well, we're gonna let you play some other roles." So they're like, "You can play a lawyer, but you're gonna be a prosecutor." So technically, I'm still law enforcement. Yep. But I yep. think you you listen to what the industry is giving you. Okay. So if the industry is bringing you in for these serious roles, master that because what you're showing them is you can do what they want you and need you to do. Now you continue to train mm -hmm. so that when an opportunity comes up, you can show them something. And I've had a lot, and I think Mark, Christopher Lawrence has heard this a lot too, but I've had a ton of casting directors. I'll go in and read for something and they're expecting me to just bring this like generic hard-nosed cop to it and I'll bring elements of that but I'll bring some other things to it that and they'll go wow I didn't know you could do that or sometimes my agent has submitted me for something and they're like oh we don't think he's right for this there was a role of a preacher um in a movie called Ain on angel's wings that starred uh, Robin Givens and there was a role of a preacher and they they really didn't think I was the right guy for it and we sent them me doing the role and they were like, oh, yeah, yeah. And I booked the role, but they had to see it because it was outside of the box that they were putting me in, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so I think you have to ex accept what the, what the industry is giving you, really embrace it, but continue to train and do other things and look at every opportunity as every role is not you. 99% of the roles that you're going to play aren't you. Yep. So embrace what they'll let you play. Show them that you're an asset. Show them that you're talented. And then a director will say, let me rehire you. Or, oh, yeah, I know we normally have you play serious, but I see how much you joke over craft services. Like, yep. let me try to pop him in this role. Like, read for this. Or maybe I'll just let you try this. 
and you'll start to get other opportunities. That's very cool. Thank you. Um, great advice. All right. Um, to paraphrase, you know, Sammy Sosa, you know, B movies have been very, very good to you. Uh, <laughs> yes. And I, some people, uh, for whatever reason, have a stigma about uh, B movies. Maybe they're, you know, used to the shiny things that they're paying attention to, and they're kind of seduced by it. But you know, B movies uh, gave you a lot of opportunities. Um, talk to me about how you got in there in the first place. Well, number one, I, I think the idea of B movies has shifted a little bit. Um, I don't, yeah. Because partly because gear has come down, so you can get really high quality productions with a lower budget now than you could before. Um, but for me, where B movies really helped me, and for me, B movies were a lot of television movies, sci fi channel movies, Lifetime. I've been in tons and tons of them, right? Where they really helped me was I just got tons of experience. So where, say, NBC wouldn't let me come in and read to play the lead cop on a TV series, yeah. a Lifetime movie let me come in and play the lead cop in a, in a series. And I got to go work for two weeks. Mm -hmm. And I got to work opposite star number one, star number, you know, star number three. And it helped me get my confidence up. It helped me continue to develop my skill set. It gave me a, it gave me great material for my reel. And I, you know, early on it started. I was doing a lot of sci-fi channel movies, and I was doing relatively small roles. You know, two or three lines here, five lines there. Then it turned into bigger roles in some of those movies. Um, so it gave me the experience. So now, like, if if you look at my quote-unquote B movie experience. I have as many probably days worked and as much time on set as a series regular off of a TV show has. Yeah. And even though it's not a network television thing, that experience, you can't, you can't buy that. You can't, there's no substitute. You know, I, there was a great moment for me. Um, and I, I just told the story a couple days ago. There's a movie called zombie apocalypse that uh, stars Ving Rhames, Taron Manning, Eddie Steeples, Leslie Ann Brandt, um, and, uh, I did, I, I'm literally in the opening scene of the movie, but I did this crazy death scene with all of them. And Ving comes into the scene at the end of the scene. And I had this crazy death scene. And when we finished, we were walking back to base camp and Ving walks up to me and pulls me aside. And, you know, Ving is super accomplished, you know, A-list Hollywood, had a career for 30 years, worked with Tarantino, like, and Ving said to me, and I'm going to do my Ving Reams uh, impersonation here. He goes, Hey, yo, Webb, that was really nice, man. That was really nice. <laughs> so, and, you know, for a relatively young actor um, at the time, I had probably booked 15, 20 things, maybe less, I don't know, somewhere in that area. But yeah. for a relatively young actor, I that was great because in that moment, I really realized that if I do my work, I can stand across from anybody in this industry and hold up. Yeah. And, you know, I got that from a B movie. I didn't get that from a network television show. I didn't get that. But the reason that was so, was at that level was because I had done, like I said, 15 or 20 B movies before that. So I wasn't on set like a deer in the headlights, like, oh, my God, that's being range or I don't know what to do kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so 
I'll I'll be forever grateful. And I don't I don't consider them B movies anymore. They're just they're just movies with a lower budget because yeah. you can look at any of those sci-fi channel movies that I did and you compare them to the big blockbusters and there's no difference other than they spent more money and had bigger stars. In them. Yeah, which may not necessarily be the good thing anyway. So, uh absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I grew up on uh, what we, you know, kind of called B movies, and one of the guys that you uh, you cast for one of those movies uh, is Michael J. White. Um, yeah. And I'm I'm a martial arts guy. I love all of these movies. I, I pretty much I don't know if I've seen all of them over the last uh, 30 years, but I've seen maybe 95 percent. Um, so you know, when when I saw that in one of your interviews, that uh, this is one of the people that uh, you invited on and you gave him an opportunity to do something that he's not normally doing it's it's great i i love that uh i have no stigma about you know what we call it it's a movie i grew up on you know i started my acting career on student films because you want to get experience <laughs> so. so it's it's all just uh it's all just a movie and it's all relationships and it's all experience uh, and Mike, michael's michael's a great guy um you know he's He's, you know, super humble, super cool. I've worked with him a bunch of times. We're actually friends. I, I go to his house sometimes and watch MMA fights. Like he's, he's just really a genuine, good guy. Like there's, there's a handful of people in LA that I'm like so grateful that I met. Mark Christopher Lawrence is one of them. Michael Jai White is definitely one of them as well. That's amazing. It's, I, I wonder what that experience is like of watching MMA fights with Michael J. White. Does he comment? And he's like, dude, that what are you doing? You know, it should have been an yeah, overhead. He's like, like, yo, like, yo, throw your hands. And like, and I've watched a bunch with him. It's funny, he has this crazy theater where the fighters are as big as me yep. on the screen. <laughs> it's a really cool place to go watch a fight. Yeah. Um, I you know, Scott Atkins and him are are my favorites. Uh, you know, these are these are the guys that you know that I watch when I want to relax. It's 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 a yeah, it's a, it's a martial art thing. Um, okay, so Asylum, you know, Asylum, you've uh, you've worked quite a bit with. Let's put it that way, and uh, yes. you know, over hundred like, films. Yeah. <laughs> so you were acting, you were casting, you were producing. At some point, you were already an executive. Um, so I, I well, I I. The first time I worked for them, I acted, and then I ended up working for them as a casting director, and mm -hmm. then pretty quickly got promoted to the director casting, like an executive position within the mm -hmm. company, and was still acting in some of their movies. I I, I I never technically produced anything for them as a producer. Well, I did line produce one film, but gotcha. I don't really, I look at that differently. But um, yeah, I was the director of talent for the company for about five years, and had to juggle, like, but it's funny because I really now look at myself, if you want to describe me, I'm just a filmmaker. Yeah. And you, as a filmmaker, you do, at some point, you probably do everything. Yeah, um, makes sense. I, I read, uh, again, you were saying that, you know, sometimes you have to clean the toilet. Sometimes you have to get people uh, to the set. You know, you, you do what you got to do. You yeah. have your own production company now, so... Um, well, the film, the film comes first. Like for me, the way I approach it is the film comes first. So whatever needs to be done in that moment. And most of the time when you're producing, like you have to support your crew. A yeah. lot of that comes in how you plan things and what you put in place. But you have to support your crew. And, you know, I, I like I said, I was very fortunate to work for the asylum for a bunch of years. Um, 
they gave me an opportunity and I, I learned a lot. And I mean, I, I definitely worked my behind off while I was there because uh, that's where I was working 85, 90 hours a week sometimes, probably closer to 100 at times. But, um, it, you know, in less than five years, that's how you turn churn through almost 100 movies. Yeah. Um, going back to that, because I actually wanted to ask you about it. You know, when you're working so many hours and, you know, people who are outside of industry may not realize how taxing just acting alone is. And you're doing acting, you're doing casting, which is incredibly, uh, incredibly taxing. Now, how did you keep yourself physically and emotionally in balance without breaking down? Um, it was a, it, it's tricky. I mean, I'm sure there were plenty of times that I was out of balance. You know, um, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm kind of a really direct guy. I'm kind of like no nonsense. So there's, I'm sure plenty of people out there that don't necessarily like me because I, I'm kind of like a do your job guy. Like yeah. no excuses, do your job, period. Um, sometimes you do need help and we need to support you, but there's a difference between that and going, you know, and not doing your job, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. So I'm sure I've gotten it wrong plenty of times. Uh, and and there were times when I was really out of balance. There was a point where I actually went to my boss boss's office and said, um, listen, I, I'm going away for at least two weeks and mm -hmm. I'm not asking. I'm, like I'm stressed and I just need to go and I can leave now. Or if you're really stuck and you need me to clean up a few things for a week or four or five days, cool, but I'm going. And I, to his credit, David Latt was like, okay, understood. Take care of yourself. And I went to Hawaii and sat in Hawaii for two weeks and did nothing and kind of just regenerated. You know, and I think that's part of how you do it is you, you know, you find ways to check in with yourself, whatever it is for you. So then like, I don't, if I go to Hawaii, Hawaii is, is, is great for me. I, it helps me kind of just clear my whole head, but I don't have to do that. And I haven't been in about three years. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I can find ways, even if I only have 20 minutes to sit and reconnect with myself and settle. Um, and I think you just have to figure that out for you. Some people may meditate. Some people may just breathe. Other people may go hug their kids or pet their dog, take their dog for a walk. You have to figure out whatever it is for you that kind of helps you get back to what I call center. Um, you know, and, and for me, there's a bunch of different things that I do. Sometimes I literally just go lay down and put my face literally flat down in the pillow and just let all my stress into the bed or into the pillow for 20 minutes. Just close, try to shut my mind off because that's there's so much in my head. So but you have to figure out what it is for you. OK, very cool. Yeah, I, I try meditating. Uh, and when I'm completely out of balance, I turn a musical on because musicals have the right energy for me and it just kind of takes me out of that and I'm happy again. So, uh, that's, that's my, my way. Um, and it's great. It's great that you know that. I mean, yeah. you, you, you know, that's the thing, like music informs my life in a lot of ways too. You know, there's times when I can be in the worst mood and I can hear one song and I'm like, oh, okay, I'm ready to go back to work <laughs> because... Yeah. It just shifted my whole my whole energy and my whole focus. Yeah. Um, talking about a shift and, and something that happened to you in L.A. that uh, once I read it kind of threw me for a loop and I can't imagine what it did for you is uh, you mentioned that, um, you know, you got shot. You know, you went yes. on a highway in L.A. and, uh, you know, uh, a couple of bullets uh, went uh, went where they're not supposed to be. Um, how how long were you in LA before that happened? 
Uh, I had been in LA a little over, uh, that was, that was December of 2008. Um, so I had been in LA, I moved in LA to LA in February of 2006. So it had been just under three years, just under three years, like two years and nine months or something. And, uh, I was coming from a fundraiser for my acting school where we were going to go do a performance in New York and random gang violence. I'm driving on the highway and they, sprayed my whole car with bullets and I got shot in my uh in my arm and uh in my leg and was fortunate enough to keep control of my car and be able to drive myself to the hospital unbelievable um I again my personal uh feelings <clears throat> as I was reading that I was uh, thinking okay I I changed my life around I come to LA to pursue my dream and now LA is literally trying to kill me should I stay here or should I get the hell out? Um, did that yeah. thought, you know, come across your mind at that point? Um, not yes, but not kind of in that way. So okay. initially, um, because it was crazy, I got shot twice. I went to the hospital for four hours, and they were like, "You can go home." <laughs> and when they said that to me, and my car's like in the parking, like all shot up, and the cops had been through my car and were like, "Yeah, your car, you can take your car too." And I'm like, so. We had a tow truck tow the car or whatever, but I um I was scared to death. Yeah. Like that night, I you know, because you here's the thing. Somebody tries to kill you and you're shot. I'm not a criminal. I don't deal drugs. I'm not a gangbanger. I'm not doing any type of my lifestyle, none of my lifestyle you would think would put me in that type of risk, right? So, but you're scared to death because you just don't know. I didn't know if like some crazy person in LA decided they hated me yeah. or somebody was jealous or, but you just don't know. And now because this is such a jarring thing, my, I was just freaked out. I, I mean, my bedroom at the time was on the front of the house where I was living. I was so scared the first week I slept on the floor because I was scared that like, what if somebody is trying to get me and they shoot the house up? So I slept on the floor. Like, I mean, I was freaked out. Um, so yeah, it was, that definitely went through my mind. And then, um, you know, part of it is I had to just kind of like really think through it and get past the initial fear and go, look, you're, there's nothing in your life that's this. There's nothing. And, you know, the police were investigating and they were like, oh, you know, you're really lucky. You know, this happens this is like Tuesday. And I'm like, what? You're like, this happens a lot. And they're like, yeah. And literally uh, about four days after it happened to me, it happened in downtown LA again. And a guy was killed. They don't think that they were related, but it was like a highway shooting and a guy got killed. And um, so it was a type of thing where, again, I had this like moment of truth where my my mom was like, just come home. Yeah. So she like talked to me, talked to me, and then like talked to my roommate. My roommate told my roommate, "I think he's just trying to be tough. Is he really okay?" Um, and it took me about nine months to physically recover because I had like back problems because my it was my leg and my arm, and I was all twisted up. Mm. But um, I was back to work about a month later. I actually did a play in New York about a month, little over a month later. Um, but yeah, there were all those that fear and those thoughts and. 
something in my head said the stubbornness in me, I guess, which I think comes from Philly and Jersey, was if you if you quit now, if you go home in fear, yeah, this is because this happened on December eighth. If you go home like right away in fear, it's a wrap. Your 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 whole acting thing, it's over. Yeah. Because coming back may be too hard. So I was like, I'm not leaving. My mom was like, just come home. I was like, I'm not leaving. I um so I stayed there and then I actually did fly home for Christmas that year. I wasn't supposed to, but I surprised my parents on Christmas morning at the house. And the main reason I did that is I could notice in talking to them in those few weeks from when I was shot until Christmas, that even though they knew I was okay, they needed to see me physically, to know that I was okay. I could hear the stress that they were under. So I surprised them and I could feel like when they hugged me when I walked in the house, how much of a difference physically seeing that like I was walking and I, I was fine. I had all my fingers, and, you know, like that I was physically okay. Um, I could see how much of a different it, difference it made for them so I was really happy that I, I decided to surprise them that Christmas. Um, I'm glad you're okay obviously that's, oh, that's thank you. an understatement. Uh, there's a part of me that really wants to go on a rant now about uh, guns and uh, all of that but we'll we'll leave that out. Um, okay. The From the acting perspective you know having kind of been in that environment where you uh, you know you were worried about dying um, did that affect your acting? Like, I know that, you know, the scene that you were doing, uh, with, uh, with Bing, um, you know, when, when you had a sword, uh, kind of, uh, go through you, which was a cool scene. I saw that one. Um, you know, when, you. when you're in those situations where your character is about to die, is there anything that kind of flashes to, uh, to that uh, moment or you're, you're free of it? Well, I, I, I kind of have a process, um, and, mm -hmm. There have been times when I've used that incident, but not, believe it or not, not very often. And it's not because I'm scared to go there. There'll be, I'm sure there'll be another time when I go there. Yeah. I just don't have to go there, if that makes sense. Um, I can breathe and go through my process and it's, I can get emotionally connected relatively quickly if I go through my process. And a lot of it is about breath work for me, getting the breath way down into the body. And by doing that, it really connects me um, emotionally. So. That's really helpful. And believe it or not, sometimes when I'm in a dire situation, I'm not going to my pain. Sometimes I'm going to my joy. Um, and what you're seeing is actually me moved to tears by something that I'm, I'm so moved by and touched by. So it really just depends. Specific to that zombie apocalypse thing, mm -hmm. there was an interesting moment in that scene where I'm getting attacked by all these zombies and I'm trying to get up and I can't, and I'm reaching for Taryn Manning, who's playing my friend in the scene and Eddie Steeples. I'm reaching like going, help me, help me. And it was interesting because we had a bunch of extras and they were all cool. But when seven or eight people are, have their hands on you and part of their bodies on you, it's really hard to move. Yeah. And like, I'm trying to move and like be my actor and, and like it was hard and there was a little bit of a feeling of helplessness. And that was part of what the emotion that you see in that because it was like I could have pushed them off me real hard and gotten up. But I'm just trying to like move a little bit. And it's just when you have 
30 pounds of force from this person, 150 pounds from that person. And they're all kind of got a hand on you and they're crawling on you. It's, it's, it, it really kind of gave me a natural, like, whoa, this is, this is scary. So that was part of it. But um, again, I don't think I get that if I haven't done that breath work first and prep. Gotcha. Um, all right, a few more things, and I know I've taken a lot of your time already. Um, um, I, dude, my, my afternoon is done, so we can talk as long as you want. Awesome. Well, okay, then we can we can move on to the other. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I hear from people all the time is that, dude, your your uh, your videos are great, but they're way too long because people unfortunately cannot sit for longer than fifteen minutes to watch anything. Right. I don't understand that quite, but. Uh, I may uh, I may ask you to come back for a second parter where I get a chance to ask you more of those questions. But uh, since you've done so much casting, uh, I wanted to impart uh, you know some of your wisdom on the audience. Uh, when sure. casting directors uh, come on, I do what I call the you know the casting director um, uh, lightning round. So I have okay. uh, I have a you know a few questions that I kind of go through that is always interesting because the answers vary so much from casting director to casting director. Uh, now it's kind of a, you know, it's not a gag in, in a way, but it's so interesting to see the dichotomy where people who are supposed to hire you all view it differently. So I want to know how oh, you... I saw, um, I saw your interview with my friend Jamie BB uh, recently, so... Yeah, so you saw you saw the same questions in the, in the lightning round. Um, so how many seconds, uh, again, if you're reviewing a self-tape, how many seconds uh, do you need to see if a person is moving on or bye-bye? It depends on the person. I usually know pretty quickly, though. I'd probably say you're either, I hate to say it like this, but you're, you're, you're interesting in the first 10 seconds or you're not. I may watch more than 10 seconds if you're not interesting, but usually pretty quickly I get a sense of, oh, I'm either like leaning in to see more or I'm going, okay, okay, okay. Let me skip forward a little bit, see if it gets any better. But pretty quickly, um, we can get a sense. But I don't like just watch 10 seconds and go by. I'll skip forward a little bit. I'll see if I can find something that 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 really will make me get, you know, that I can go, okay, maybe we can work with this. Yeah. Um, I the, the reason why this is uh, this question is so important, by the way, is because uh, a lot of actors, when they're coming up, they want to make an entrance or they want to come into a scene or their eyes are not there and they're doing this and then they bring the eyes up. And by that time, those 10 seconds may be gone. And a lot of the casting directors that I talked to would have been done with that tape. So mm -hmm. it's it's so important for people to get this, that they need to be yeah. right there away. Yeah, I don't need to see you walk in the frame. I'm, I'm assuming yeah. you can do that. I just need to see if you can act. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you have a preferred self-tape uh, background? Uh, I really don't. Just something that's not busy or crazy. Um, you know, if it's something solid, it can be a wall, it can be a set of curtains, it can be, you know, mm -hmm. and you do have to, I would suggest you find something that goes with your skin tone. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, you know, mm -hmm. something that you can kind of pop off of, but mm -hmm. I don't really have like, if, if somebody had a background like that's behind me and that was all they had, if they can act, I don't care. Okay. That's nice. Um, <clears throat> dress for the part or be kind of, uh, generic. I think if you're a businessman, maybe put a suit and, you know, shirt, jacket or shirt on, or if yeah. it's a blue collar worker, wear like a blue collar type shirt or a polo shirt. I don't need you to dress up as an entire doctor to play the doctor. 
I don't need you to dress up in a police uniform to play the policeman. Um, Some, I'm gonna give you a caveat on that though. Okay. Because I had an agent that I worked with recently, recently tell me that some of the offices, I don't do this. If you get an audition from me, Mm-hmm. Either I picked you based on your headshot resume and online profile, yeah. or one of my casting associates, not a, not an assistant, an associate who's very accomplished. Mm-hmm. One of us went through and picked you, and we think that you will be of a certain level of work. Yeah. What I heard from an agent recently that I really trust was that he was experiencing that a bunch of the bigger offices are having casting assistants who have a, generally have a lot less experience yeah. pick people's photos and resumes and pick who comes in. And he was having a lot of success with people who were dressed in a cop uniform necessarily picture getting them in for an audition. So it's different for everybody. I don't need to see that. Um, I think, but some other people may need to see that. So I, it's a tricky answer. It depends on what office. That's fair. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, Halt sides or uh, be a book? Uh, I think you should be prepared, but I'm holding sides is perfectly fine. If you're if you're holding sides and you're like this the whole time, no, because I need to see this. Um, You need to, you know, here's the thing. There's a very distinct difference between being off book and being prepared to be the character. If you prepare to be the character and do the work, you're gonna probably be off book or close to off book anyway. Mm -hmm. If you listen in your audition, you're gonna know what to say next. You're gonna, it's almost gonna tell you what's on the page. So I think you have the page there to reference if you need to, but I don't think you have to be perfectly memorized, um, but you also shouldn't be like this the whole time on the page. Gotcha, okay, thank you. Um, Accent or uh, no accent? Accent's a specific choice. Mm-hmm. Only do it if you do the accent flawlessly. A bad accent is a bad audition, period. You won't get the part. If I'm looking at, oh my, look how bad his accent is. Yeah. I'm, you're not getting, you're not getting, you're not, I'm not hiring you. Yeah. So only do the, everybody likes that. Oh, I can do an accent. If it's not 100% spot on believable, I say don't do it. Go keep practicing it until you get it down. Great. So um, you, like my, my being Reigns impersonation is 100%. I can do that. <laughs> I think so. We'll send that to Ving uh, to, uh, to validate. I'll, I'll call him. I'll call him and tell him one day. <laughs> so, sounds great. Um, risk or play safe? Risk or what? Or play safe. Uh, if you have a choice that, you know, something just tells you, I, I think the character would be this. And it's it's not a vanilla choice. It's more of a risky thing. You know, some right, say, so yeah. I think risk-taking is part of acting. It's part of being interesting. However, yeah. risk-taking doesn't mean just, hey, look at me. Risk, the risk has to be motivated by the text. Yeah. So I think risk-taking is fine, but understand risk-taking doesn't necessarily mean I'm just going to do this really big and take one big risk. Risk-taking can be on a specific line in a specific moment. Really work that scene and, and, and choose what you're gonna do moment to moment. Choose what you're gonna do when you're listening. Choose what you're gonna do, what motivates you for speaking. 
And you can find tons of risks to take there that can make you more interesting. It's not just a, oh, do I do a big version that's risky or do I do a flat version that's standard? You know, I think you find different pieces of it by working the whole, by working the material. But I'm all for risk taking, but just make sure they're motivated by the text in some way. Perfect. No, that's uh, that makes sense. Thank you. Um, last question, and this deals more with the, from the casting part, this deals more with uh, the auditions, which would be like this, where you and I are on Zoom or go to meeting. Um, where the where should the eyes be? Because right now my eyes are in the camera. Uh, I'm not looking at you. I want to look at you because that's where my reaction comes from. You know, right. but from a casting perspective, what what's your expectation there? Well, if it's it, so, there's a difference. If it's self tape versus Zoom. So self tape, I think you have a reader. You look at your reader. Yeah. yeah. Have your reader. You know, if the camera's here, have your reader kind of here or here, mm -hmm. either side. Um, and if you're talking to two different people, read to your reader, put the other person maybe over here. So we get kind yep. of a shift in your eye line. Mm -hmm. Zoom is so like Zoom auditions are so new. I, I think it just depends on what that specific CD wants. Mm -hmm. um, you know, commercial auditions, a lot of times on Zoom, they're going to tell you, look right down the pipe. You know, you're yeah. going to look right down the, the, the camera. Um, but I think it just depends on what that what that CD wants. Um, mm -hmm. I still, for theatrical, would probably want you just off camera. Mm -hmm. So if the camera's here, I'd probably want your eye line like in, in this area or this area, not yep. straight down the pipe. But yep. don't, that doesn't mean like, and it's tricky because you have to know how to work the camera. So mm -hmm. in, in the room that I'm in, me looking over here, it doesn't feel like I'm looking very far away from the camera, but you're getting, yep. like my, if I'm going to look off camera here, I'm going to probably look here. I'm going to probably look here. So you're yeah. still seeing a bunch of my face as opposed to me looking right down the barrel of the camera. Yep. From okay. Technical stand. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, all right. So last two questions. Um, you've done uh, quite a bit of different stuff uh, in in your in your career so far. Um, yes. What still excites you, and what's uh, what's next? What are you really looking forward to doing that you haven't been able to do yet? Um, I, I guess what excites me is great material. Um, you know, stories that I, that really need to be told. Um, you know, as simple as my little short film stacks was that excited me because there was a, there, you've seen it. There's a very specific point of view behind it. Something yep. that I feel needed to be said. And yep. I said it in a really kind of biting, but sarcastic way. So that's what turns me on. Um, so what I hope to get into is, um, you know, more producing, more acting, of course. I want to direct uh, more. I definitely want to direct some features and maybe do, if I can uh, work my way into a, one of the uh, studios or the network's directing programs, get into some television directing maybe one day. But uh, I want to develop some really powerful kind of true stories. There's a story about a voting activist in the 1800s that i'm researching that i would love to potentially do a story on um there's uh you know but really about stories that have some significance in our society that help us examine a moment and how we can either live up to that moment and relive that moment and recreate it in great ways or examine a moment and go hey here's what we have to watch out for this was a bad moment for us as as humans 
and let's make sure we don't forget it so that we, you know, as we move forward, we can work together in a more productive way. Uh, so hopefully developing, producing, acting, and, and maybe even directing some of those types of things, but very kind of real gritty stories, even if they're fictional, um, that have this specific point of view um, that imparts something to our society. Yeah. Very exciting. That's, that, that certainly excites me. Uh, uh, I'll, keep, uh, I'll keep an eye out. Uh, on your next projects uh, from now on. And, and I'm going to warn people, like some of them may be ridiculously sarcastic, you know, like the song from Stacks, Dropping Deuces, is awesome. a comedic, the song yeah. is super comedic, unlike the short, yep. it's super comedic, but it's me just being a smart ass going, you guys literally made toilet paper like yeah. hoarding a problem. And it's just me being a smart ass about it. Yep. So. No, I, if anybody doesn't like sarcasm, that's on them. So I, I <laughs> every, here's the thing. Everybody loves sarcasm until it's directed at them. <laughs> then they hate sarcasm. That's true. But, you know, be self-aware. You know, if uh, the ability to laugh at yourself is, is, is showing you something about your level of uh, development. So, uh, yeah, well, it's, it's, it's a harder thing to come by these days, I think so. Yeah. Well, thankfully, I am blessed with having really good friends who uh, who tell me exactly what they think of me, and they're very sarcastic. So I I think I've become good. Uh, That's hilarious. As as we wrap up, you know, um, because you have uh, done so much, and uh, you your career has taken kind of many different uh, you know turns. If you had a chance to talk to uh, to a young girl who wanted <laughs> to be an actor and you had one bit of advice that you can give him, what would that be? I would have probably moved to Hollywood when I was 18 years old. Um, okay. I think I'd be like, just just get out there. This is really what your purpose in life is going to be. Yeah. Don't be scared. Just get out there and find a way to, to make it happen. Um, you know, to get out there 10 plus years earlier would just have helped my career. Um, but it's tricky because the success I had in the DJ industry and working with a lot of celebrities and music artists kind of helped me when I got to LA, the glitz and the glamour and the celebrity didn't really like, I wasn't awed by it. Mm. I was like, oh, there's George Clooney at the restaurant I go to. Okay. And then my friend introduced me to him like, hey, George, <laughs> like, and it was cool, but I wasn't like. Yeah. Oh my God! I was just like, okay, he's a regular person, and maybe that's why I have celebrity friends because I, you know, they're just regular people to me. Some are nice, some are jerks, you know, like anybody else. So, I would probably have um, told myself at 16 or 17 years old, start figuring out how to get out there and looking into this acting thing um, and this producing thing, and yeah. uh, figure out how to. Like once you get once you get into that, you're gonna love it. It's, you're gonna discover your purpose. Don't find a way to get in this. And I would have probably started local. I would have gotten in a local theater or taken some local classes, which I kind of did a little bit later in Philadelphia. But mm -hmm. I would have just tried to push myself into taking that next bigger step onto what I consider a bigger stage earlier in life. Very cool. Well, um, it didn't seem to hurt you or <laughs> where you ended up. So um, thank you. I, again, it's, I, I'm blessed because I get to speak to, uh, to you and others who are 
uh, within the industry, who get to uh, to share what it's really like, um, who get to share their stories. I'm inspired by it. I have to admit that when I look at you know everything that you've done and how much time you put into it, uh, that part to me scared me a little bit and made yeah. me question whether I have the same you know type of drive and ability to actually put it in motion. But now well, I made I made plenty of mistakes. You might not make all the mistakes I made, so it might be a little shorter <laughs> for you in some cases. Well, um, <laughs> like, and, well, but seriously, like to be really honest, like um, I talked about letting go. Like at the very beginning, we talked about like you have yeah. something, and sometimes you have to let go of it to reach for what you want. Mm-hmm. And I continually struggle through holding on and not letting go probably longer than I should with certain things. So even like directing, now that I've directed, I'm like, dummy, why didn't you do this five years ago, right? So it took me five years to kind of let go of whatever my concerns are or my fears or whatever it was to step into that chair. So it's very difficult. Don't compare yourself to like my timeline because everybody's timeline is different. And maybe you let go of things and are more fluid with that. like. That may have cut two years off of my time or a year or five years, who knows? Um, I just think everybody's journey is their own. So don't let don't let that fear keep you from pursuing what you think you should pursue. Thank you. No, the, the only comparison was in terms of the amount of uh, time per week that you put into it. Uh, Again, you may yeah. be better at some parts of it than I was. <laughs> like I learned making a ton of mistakes. I st- When I started, casting at the asylum i knew casting the basic casting process more yep. from the actor side of it i was just going in to help a director that i knew christopher ray like help him cast the movie and then we got done that and the producers were like well we kind of like the work you did do you want to do our next movie and i was like in the back of my mind like i don't really know how to do this but and i'm scared it's going to kind of get in the way of my acting but okay and then i learned really quickly so you know, it's so it's so tricky to compare like, you know, other people. And here's the other thing. This is before social media. There's so much you can learn now. Just like go on YouTube and type in something. I wish I had it 15 years ago because I probably could have saved myself five years worth of work watching videos and learning from shows just like yours. So don't be scared. <laughs> and if you are, just create courage in the face of it and act anyway. Uh, I'll I'll do what you suggest, which is don't create problems where they don't exist and just go for it. And if Um, they come up, you figure out how to deal with them. Yeah. But most of the time we don't act because we're like, oh, look at all these things that could happen. None of them are real until they happen. And most of the time, all the things you say could happen, 98% of them don't happen. So. Well, what did happen is uh, is a wonderful interview that uh, I've gotten yeah. from, and I'm hoping you watching uh, have done so as well. Uh, thank you, Gerald. Uh, thank you for coming back. Thank you, Brad. Uh, yeah, I really appreciate it. Thanks for everybody for tuning in. Uh, we are lucky enough to have guests, uh, at least one guest per day. So I'm working hard on this. Uh, You guys do your work and watch it and share it and uh, comment and let us know what you think about it. Thanks again. See you guys. Thank you so much. Pleasure.